Hi, welcome. I'm here with Tamika Hill Thomas from Mercer. Tamika, how are you? I am great. How are you, Al? I'm I'm doing well. I'm staying warm with my blanket here. Uh, <laughs> and I, you're there in balmy Chicago, yeah? Oh, yes, definitely. Quite chilly here in Chicago today. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you would, you might starting off by introducing yourself and a little bit about what you do there at Mercer. Sure. So I am Tamika Hill Thomas. Uh, thank you. I'm really happy to be here. I am currently a senior principal at Mercer, uh, where we do workforce strategy and analytics. Well, you know, you've been doing this for a while. You were formerly at EY and you have actually, you know, wrestled with the work. In other words, staging the data, you know, doing the analysis, packaging it, and in turn communicating it around a variety of themes, diversity, equity, inclusion. You're also uh, an expert at workforce planning. So, you know, I just want to jump right into it. You know, where is most of your energy and work right now, particularly around DEI and workforce planning and how those two might work together? Well, right now we are really busy doing pay equity work. There has been quite an uptick of companies who since the pandemic and a lot of things that have happened surrounding the pandemic including, for instance, the great resignation. A lot of people have left the workforce, particularly high-level women have left the workforce, which allowed more men to come in and take those positions. So we are looking at ways to make sure that pay is equitable um, for people in similar roles at different firms. Also, because there's this huge um, demand, I guess, for um, justice, um, social justice that have sparked from last year. There's going to have been a lot more interest in making sure that salaries are more equitable. So we've been doing a lot of work with pay equity. Also, because of the pandemic, which has really spearheaded a big divide in um, skills and education, a lot of companies are now looking to see how they can upskill and reskill their training. So we've been doing a lot of workforce strategy planning on how to, um, whether it is to train, retrain employees, uh, hire new employees, whether we need to automate certain procedures or whether you know it should be outsourced. So we're helping companies do that as well. So there's just a lot of busy work that we're doing. And we're, it's really interesting, it's really fascinating and I am just loving every minute of it because this stuff really just charges my gears. <laughs> well, if you're just joining us and are listening to the recording after the fact, I mean, we have long uh, struggled with DEI being this initiative over here and the person uh, or small group that is trying to drive it has not had the data and insight oftentimes, and they haven't been connected to larger processes around org design, around, to your point, internal mobility, and obviously pay. And so would you contend that there needs to be better governance around how the insight is generated and who the audience is for this so they can take appropriate action? Uh, and, you know, is workforce planning the right overarching word for it? And if so, great. If not, you know, what do you uh, think should be the better uh, naming convention? You know, right uh, now, I think the most important thing is making sure you have really good data to answer some of these HR related questions that are out there. 
I am a strong believer that better data, more data provides better answers. So I do think it's important to really integrate all the different data sources that you have, first of all, whether it's the put together the core HR, the salary information, the performance review information, information like that, putting it that together to have a more complete view of your employees, I think is very important. Once you have that, it becomes one step easier to help answer some of the business related questions that some of these stakeholders have. You know, what are, you know, who is leaving our firm? Um, what type of skills do we need in the next five years? Um, issues with pay. Uh, how is our performance review system working? There are a lot of very broad questions that are out there that if you have the right data, you can answer it. And I think once you see how all these different questions are somehow overlap with one another, you start to get a broader, better view of how to tackle certain questions and how it benefits everyone in the long term. You know, a typical example would be if you want to look to see if your performance review system is working adequately, if you see that there may be some issues with your performance review, you might in turn realize this may be impacting your retention or may impacting your promotion system. So those things in turn help impact your workforce planning in the future. So all these little steps, even though they may be in isolation, in actuality, they're all connected with one another. So I'm a big fan in making sure that you have the data that supports a very more complete view of your employees. And in doing so, using that to answer these business questions could bring a lot of great insights for the clients that are out there. Well. Yeah. By the way, if you're uh, watching live or participating live, by all means, ask a question on the platform uh, you're on. We're live streaming on LinkedIn and YouTube, uh, among others. So my question you know, with this data, um, you are working with enterprise clients. And so there is a unique value proposition, correct me if I'm wrong, to work with experts such as yourself, experts in analytics, understanding data, particularly HR data, which is unique. What I'm finding is many who are in small to mid-sized companies, certainly, but even at enterprises, they try and do everything themselves. So, I mean, I want you to give a seamless plug, but it's part of the ecosystem of this work. Um, how, what's the value of working with a third party, whether it be, you know, Mercer Aon or anybody, but just, you know, why is it valuable to work with a set of experts with you know, unique skills, maybe unique data as well? Good question. I had the unique experience of both working as an in-house HR uh, data lead for EY, and now I'm on the client side, working at Mercer, helping our clients with their HR priorities. And I would say, looking at both of these experiences, I strongly believe that in some cases, having to go to a third party and having them come in and help you with certain questions may be beneficial to you because it's very hard for that one person in a company to be an expert in every single related topic to HR. It would be really great to have that one person to come in who specializes, say, in pay equity to come in and help the client with that work or someone to come in and help improve employee listening uh, to come in and help with that work. So I think by asking for help, essentially, the 
output of the business project that we're working on does become better and better improved and more direct in answering the business questions that the stakeholders or the client is looking for. Yeah, with that in mind, who is your principal client within the companies that you work with? And let me qualify this question a little bit. Uh, are you working with compensation? Are you working with the people analytics team? Are you working with uh, an overarching governance body, maybe the HR leadership team, uh, or does it vary you know, across the board from, from client to client? I'm just interested to know if there's any commonalities and what you would advocate uh, if someone was thinking about doing this with a partner such as uh, Mercer. And the answer is we work with everybody related to HR because it does essentially depend on the business questions when they come to us. You know, for instance, if they're asking a question about compensation, that might be a rewards person as well as an HR person from another client that will be part of the conversation. But if we're talking about um, issues with our like retaining workers, that might be a talent acquisition person that we're talking, uh, a different person. So it just really depends on the project that we're working on and it depends on what the deliverable is. But with that being said, we work with almost everybody connected to HR, whether it's rewards, whether it's talent acquisition, um, whether it's recruiting, all these different people are involved. And maybe the global, or maybe the CHRO. It just really depends on the company itself. Got it. And how uh, popular, if you will, is workforce planning right now from your perspective? And a related question, is there a common understanding of what it is and, and what it is not? You know, for example, earlier you mentioned you're helping your clients think about what needs to be automated, you know, outsourced, you know, particularly some disruptions like robotic automation or AI might affect the nature of work. Is that uh, common with your clients right now? Do you see it on the upswing? Do you feel that it, there's not enough thinking that way? I think career, um, excuse me, I think right now with workforce planning, there has been a huge demand for that because of how people define their their careers now at the company has been shifting. Before it has been very specific like job title, you are an accountant. Now it's more skills based and having it more skills based allows more flexibility both on the employee so they now can realize they can work in different parts of the company because they have the skills that are applicable for those different roles. Um, but it also helps with planning um, from the workforce planning perspective, from the company perspective, because it allows them to see what skills they of they, their employees currently have, skills they might need in the next five years. And they can start thinking about, as they do workforce planning, whether they need to start hiring people with these specific skills or whether they need to retrain their employees with these specific skills. So I think with workforce planning, the big switch that has happened now has been a switch to um, to skills, upskilling and reskilling and defining those skills and defining those skills within those roles and understanding that those skills can be transferable to different roles within the firm. Love it. And these skills, you know, obviously it's top of mind for everybody. There's tons of articles. There's companies that are enabling that at different uh, 
uh, scopes and arguably degrees. Um, so what are skills to you? Uh, do you have your own proprietary taxonomy that you use? Do you use what your clients have? You know, what does skills look like from a data perspective? So skills are definitely going to change from company to company. Uh, it, again, it's going to depend on the role. So for instance, a pharmaceutical company, a data scientist, well, that data scientist in a pharmaceutical company is going to be very different from a data scientist from a finance role. But that doesn't mean that the underlying, you know, skills that that person have might be transferable from the, you know, pharma section over to the sales section, or in the case of finance, uh, from the, the finance modeling over to maybe modeling in the finance section. So it's going to vary from company to company, but with that being said, those skills will probably cross different roles within that firm. Got it. And who is the customer of this work? I keep coming back to variations of that question because we talk about skills. Obviously, it screams learning. But also, the, if you talk about internal mobility, that's going to affect arguably org design, talent acquisition, and, and other functions. So, you know, again, the core question, who do you see as being your customer when you talk about skill-based planning? I truly believe that everyone could benefit from looking at their employees, looking at the skills that they have, and looking to see if whether retraining, reskilling, upskilling, whether um, bringing in new um, employees with new skills could benefit their firm. I think everyone should be able to uh, should be looking at this right now. Got it. And so, you know, just to step back, when we talk about workforce planning, it as arguably esoteric for some. Uh, historically, again, talent acquisition has been the principal customer of workforce planning outcomes or, or deliverables. And it's oftentimes been owned by talent acquisition, which you know informs recruiting strategy, but it's blind to internal mobility, internal development, or learning strategies, and that's changing. Mm -hmm. um, so what I'm getting at is this, is I know you have workforce planning models and the like. Um, do you start with that? Do you start defining what it is and how it's going to be used? Because I, I, I know you have workforce planning models, but again, getting a common understanding of that, I think everyone will agree is important. So what does a workforce planning model and or process look like to you? Well, one of the first things we do is talk to our client and ask them what their dilemma is. Are they looking to seek a change? You know, companies are changing their mission, their um, their business all the time. And sometimes, you know, they want to come to us to talk to us when they change their business. How does this change their profiles of their employees? So one of the very first things we do definitely is have a conversation of what their dilemma is, what they would like to change. And what can be possibly done. So once we have that established, we then look to determine, you know, what skills are necessary and why they think they need this skill now and in the future. So with all that kept in mind, that is one of the most important things we do. We go beyond just looking at, this is the percent of people you've hired, this is the percent of people you will leave, and this is the percent that's gonna be promoted. Therefore, by next year, this is the number of people in the group. No, we go much beyond that. We really go and look at the skills that these people have, look to see with those with those specific skills, 
How are they maintaining their skills? Are their skills transferable? Can this um, transfer our skills or upgrade our skills? Help take the company to the next level that they want to go in the next couple of years as they shift their agenda with their business strategy. So, yeah, again, it's just all about communicating with the client at all times and making sure everyone is on the same page as we come up with a workforce plan strategy. So here we have this situation where skills are really important, yet skills are not allocated uh, in a homogenous way across our society, across demographic groups, um, particularly uh, the Black Americans, um, obviously uh, Mexican Americans and Latino Americans in general. So now, you know, this affects, if we want the right skills at the right time, we're going to look and we might find a great group of people with those skills, but they might not support our diversity, equity, and inclusion goals. So do you see a relationship between skills-based workforce planning and diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives? We are beginning to see some of that. That's why one of the things that we have been promoting is looking at rescaling the workforce, providing opportunities for people to learn new skills. I also think that there are people with skills out there if they look a little harder. Um, and I also think it's important that people communicate what are the skills that you are looking for to go into this line of business so that people who are interested in certain industries know what skills they should be going into. One of the big priorities I have seen with looking at um, career framework and job restructure is looking to help their employees restructure their career using the learning tools that are available with the companies so that they can move forward in the career that they want to see. So I am a strong believer that being able to offer learning opportunities for your employees will help with your diversity, will help with your um, improve the actual skill level of your job, and I think will help better shift to the different um, mission that you have with your business strategy. I, I love that response for a lot of reasons, but I'm going to try and behave a little bit and leave room. Roberta, I see your question come in. I'm going to offer it up um, in a second. But before I do, I want to ask you, Tamika, if I am a early stage career professional or if I'm someone in career transition and I have certain skills, how do I communicate that out to a pool of employers so it's actually seen and I get considered for roles that might not be like in my linear, you know, job title, you know, for example. Any thoughts there? You know, I think it's interesting. I get asked that question a lot. They're interested in going into people analytics and they want to know what skills that they need to work on. I do think it's important people like me, I have a background in statistics and in economics with a specialization in labor economics. <clears throat> but I work with people who are data ops specialists. I work with vision, uh, visualization experts because they can tell a really good story. I work with uh, junior data analysts all the time. I always need people like that. I also, you know, a lot of things that are not um, taken as I think they're taken is having good communicators, being mm -hmm. able to have someone take the story that you have come up with from a people analytics perspective and go to the CHRO, 
the CEO, the rewards leader, and communicate these are the results you found. This is how, this is the actionable plan that we recommend, and this is the steps that we are going to give you to help you get to that spot. Um, having a great communicator is very, very important, almost like a marketing person, <laughs> communications person almost. It's very, very important. So there might be some people who are not very mathematically inclined who thinks, well, I like this topic, but I'm not sure I have the math skills to get into it. No, you don't necessarily need the math skills. There are so many different ways that you can get into this field that are very, very important, like the, the visualization, like the communications. That is very, very necessary for this. And um, so, so it takes, it, it yeah, takes a village. <laughs> it takes a village. <laughs> so I just want to make sure that I'm clear here because I'm clearing my throat. Sorry about that. Um, my question, and I'm going to bring up Roberta's uh, question right now because it relates to this, is that it's the responsibility of the individual to communicate that they have communication skills. And it's the responsibility of the employer to actually look for those skills that would be successful in the job. So one of the skills that are is top of mind, not only for people analytics, but for um, most jobs right now, um, particularly within HR, as you talk to your clients, are you finding the topic of data literacy top of mind and skills conversations? Are they prioritizing that as a future skill? What are your thoughts there? Yes, we are seeing some of that. Um, however, data literacy, um, it doesn't mean data literacy, I need a little clarification. Data literacy, as we look at how do we analyze skills or just in general, just data literacy when people are doing the work. So I'm going to assume this is the latter. Um, yes, you do need to understand some basics with the data. How is the data structured? What type of questions are feasible when answering the questions? Um, but, you know, you don't have to be alone by yourself in answering that question. You know, that's why you have a team. That's why you can communicate with the data people. And as a team effort, you'll be able to really start learning and start picking up on one of the things that are very important with you when you start looking at data and how you understand it. It's not as hard as I think some people imagine it to be. Um, because once you have the data that's structured and once you have good governance about privacy and things like that, everything else becomes really straightforward. And once you have that settled, that's going to be pretty consistent for every project that you work on. Yeah, and I'll just uh, amplify something that you said is that it, you don't have to be a PhD in statistics and economics to be data literate. And I'm finding personally that, yeah, most jobs require a certain level of data literacy um, inside people analytics, in, outside of uh, inside of HR and outside as well. So it is the case where uh, our educational system here in the United States, is it good enough? I would argue that it's not on this front. So there's certainly opportunity for employers to ramp up data literacy training and practices so people can get good at it so they're not intimidated and and, and run away from it uh, we have probably time for a couple more questions here and i want to go back Before to you, Dean. i just wanted to add one thing something that you said I think one of the things that is happening that is very important that before in HR, a lot of things were very like simple statistics. Like this is the number of people who left the firm last year. And this is how long it took, how many days it took to fill this role. 
now with advanced analytics, we are doing a lot more powerful um, work and getting results such as, you know, predicting turnover and looking at the relationships um, as the impact of having certain skills on, you know, on sales and revenue. So I do think that in the future, there's going to be some demand for people to have higher level statistics in order to do that type of work. But again, I think that every single person who's in people analytics needs to have that skill. I think it's important to realize that there is going to be a group effort in almost everything that you do. And just having, you know, overall understanding of the data that you're using, being able to explain the results in a way that makes sense to your stakeholder and just having the right visualization so that even though you did something incredibly complicated to get that results, somebody can look at that visual and in 2.2 seconds understand, oh, this is the issue. This is what I see the problem is. Oh, and now you've given me a list of actionable solutions in order to deal with that. I think that's where we need to go. I don't want people to think that everything has to be this cold, hard, complicated, very serious machine learning mathematics at all times in order to do this work. Even though that might be what you're using to get your answer, at the end of the day, you're not going over machine learning with your stakeholders at all. You're not talking about the statistics. You're talking about the results. You're talking about what's actionable. And you're really helping your stakeholder you know, understand this is the outcome. This is what we think you should do. And we're giving you some options for that. So I don't want people to get really scared to think that they have to know machine learning or programming R or Python. You need to have somebody on your team to do that. But as long as you understand the fundamentals of what's happening and understand the output or the research, I think that's what's most important. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And thank you for saying that uh, so clearly and eloquently. I also want to call out that someone would need to be, whether it be the analyst or the customer or the person who's um, uh, leading or stewarding a process, is that the data itself informs what happens downstream within an algorithm, within an analytics process. So my question then becomes with diversity, equity, and inclusion in particular, um, what metrics or measures or what data do you, would you advocate be introduced? Because we've had a shortcoming of data um, in looking at these processes, arguably, I, I would contend so. It is improving, so new data are becoming being created. So what data are you finding immensely helpful as you try and improve an understanding around diversity, equity, and inclusion? Well, you know, you have your usual suspects of your core HR, your performance review, maybe the sales and revenue, maybe the learning, um, what courses that they have taken within the company. But I think something that is sometimes um, overlooked is looking at um, surveys, employee engagement surveys. Um, when the scores of those employee surveys are aggregated to a certain person, you get to see, um, I'm going to put it, the person's, you know, perspective is included into the equation. You know, a perfect example is that you can look at a high-performing female who has a leadership role. If you look at the one who's highly likely to leave versus the one who's highly likely to stay, what could be the difference in them? Is that maybe they have different perspectives, perspectives about work-life balance. That is something that comes through in a survey. 
you're not going to see that in their performance review. You're not going to see that in the core HR. You're not going to see how many years that they've been working at the company. I do think incorporating more in engagement surveys has can bring that type of perspective that no one has typically have done before. Yeah. And you know, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Like I said, what we've been doing is that we will take the aggregate score of, say, all high-performing women in a certain region um, and location, this is the score that we'll assign to everyone. And we will give all the men in that same region their aggregate score. So that's how we first you know, make sure that privacy is ensured, but also be able to use that engagement survey in a way in our regressions that makes sense. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot to that process and i love that you're just talking about it but you know aggregating the data making sure it's staged properly doing the proper analysis because there's a host of analytical techniques that can be employed and that takes an expert such as yourself to decide which technique is most appropriate to solve the problem that you're trying to solve so uh, tamika i super appreciate you sharing um as we close uh how can people learn more about you and what you're doing there at mercer well, I am on LinkedIn and you are able to reach out to me if you have any questions. Also, you can reach out to me at Mercer as well. You know, it's just Tamika.Hill.Mercer, excuse me, Tamika.Hill.Thomas at Mercer.com. Um, I'm always available both um, ways through email and through my LinkedIn page. And I'm happy to chat as well. If anyone has any questions about going into people analytics, anyone who's new or just recently graduated and want to know what their steps more than happy to chat with them as well. Well, Tamika, thanks for doing the work that you do. And uh, yeah, stay warm there in Chicago and hope to see you in person uh, very soon. All right, thank, thank you. you. Thank All you. Right, appreciate it.